Hey everybody, welcome to an extended edition of Thunderbird Eye. What you're about to hear is a conversation between our very own Jacob Ayer and Spencer Latu about life after sports. We'll be back at 4.30 with the rest of the show. Enjoy. Hello, and thank you for listening to Thunderbird Eye, the space where we chat with elite college athletes and discover off-field stories from the accomplished sports people involved in the University of British Columbia's athletic programs. I'm Jacob Ayer, and today we're going to delve into the mind of an ex-U sports football player who is still studying here at UBC. He defies the stereotypical persona of a football jock and just so happens to be an integral member of our very own CITR Sports Collective. With me here today is former offensive lineman Spencer Latu. Welcome. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thanks for having me, Jacob. Yeah, no worries. Is it weird that you're being interviewed for a show that you contribute towards? I think this is the best move the show has ever made by interviewing me, so I'm liking the direction of this program. Was that an egocentric comment or a genuine thank you? It's hard to separate at this time. (laughs) Fair enough. Can you tell me a bit about yourself? Of course, we work together, but I feel like I don't know your backstory. I don't know what I might classify as the true Spencer. Uh, The true Spencer is hard to pin down. The true Spencer has also gone through multiple changes. I graduated high school in 2012, so I've been at this post-secondary game a long time. I went to Langara College for a couple of years as a local community college, and then I walked onto the UBC football team, and so that's how I got my shot at UBC, except that almost got complicated because I was on academic probation at Langara, so (laughs) that was not fun, and then I ended up playing on the team for two years in my second season 2015 we won the national championship so that was awesome but then I ended up on academic probation again and since then I've been trying to recreate my identity as a student minus the athlete well that was about the best quick wrap-up of you that I've heard and 90% of that I was unfamiliar with so thank you but Looking back to your childhood, what role did sports play for you? I think sports was the most formative part of my childhood because I grew up in a single-parent household. My mom was a semi-pro tennis player in Long Beach, California, and she got my brother and I. We were always playing tennis to start as kids, and that was kind of like what we did for like hours on end was play against the wall or play with each other or play with my mom. She uh, she raised us right and never let us win in tennis, so we learned from a young age how to very compete. Very competitive family. Uh, very competitive, and uh, the only way to win in tennis in this families to actually win so that's where we got our competitive edge and my mom was also both of our youth basketball coaches so we'd always be coached by coach carolyn maybe some people from richmond will remember coach carolyn tearing up the youth basketball scene but as far as my childhood is concerned i've always played sports and all my friends were made through sports and a lot of the the people skills i've learned and like how to approach life and my philosophy towards life has basically been formed through sports which is why i'm so stupid I don't think <laughs> I don't think the stupidity part is true. I think you're quite intelligent. But you said you played tennis in your childhood, but you ended up playing football here. What other sports influenced what later became your choice in football? 
Um, so my first success in sports came from basketball. I was an overweight child, so I was not very good at tennis, couldn't move too fast, but I leaned down running around a lot in basketball and, uh, I was taller than most people. So I could, and I was, well, how tall are you right now? I'm six, six, two and a half, but like six, three normally walking around. But if you take my shoes off, I'm six, two and a half. So I was, you're not a skinny six, three either. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a bodyguard. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I'm a, uh, a, a and, and an offensive guard. So, I mean, it's weird how that transitioned so nicely, huh? As a young kid, I was playing basketball, really finding my competitive edge, my physical edge there. I made the transition over to football when I stopped growing, and my brother transferred high school, so I followed him, followed with him. We left Jan Burnett Secondary, that's in Richmond, British Columbia, and then we went to Vancouver College, British Columbia. It's a, a collegiate prep school kind of thing, uh, all-boys Catholic school in Vancouver, and that's where I got my first shot at football. And from there, the rest is history. <laughs> that's how you fell in love with it. You eventually said you went to Langara before coming to UBC. How did you wind up making that connection to play football for the Thunderbirds? Well, I, I had a decent high school football career. I mean, I played on a pretty prolific program, so I had that going for me at least. And I, uh, I played community football as well, so... I, I had a um, I had a strong football background. We were 2010 provincial champions in football at Vancouver College. We had a very strong team that year. We were uh, semifinal losers in my senior year. I played a couple of years of community football just for fun, stay in shape, just wanted to stay around football. And then my brother got actually recruited to UBC. He played one year at Vancouver College as well, played his senior year, and then got a scholarship to UBC. And uh, naturally, as being the older brother, I said, if my younger brother can do it, obviously, I can because I'm the older brother, so I'm better than him at everything. So obviously, I can make the UBC football team as well. I uh, sent out an email to the recruiting coordinator, uh, Paul Orzetti, and he uh, watched my tape, and they offered me a spot as a walk-on on the team, and and that's how I made the uh, UBC Thunderbirds football team. It's quite the story. You were primarily you mentioned a guard or was it offensive lineman in general? So in high school, I played defensive line. I was brand new to sport, never even watched football, didn't know much about football in grade 11 and 12, but then I fell in love with the game really quickly and just loved all the strategy. So I learned a lot from there. So I kind of had like a grasp of what all the jobs were, all the uh, different positions in football, especially the lineman positions. So I transitioned to offensive line in community football. Actually, I played on both sides of the ball because it's, kind of it's kind of a mess out there. It's kind of like a fun league, so to speak. So I played some offensive line, and UBC recruited me as an offensive lineman. I played tackle and guard and then dabbled in center as well, just because I was not the most talented of the football players. So when you're on the outside looking in, you kind of got to pick up lots of different skills and show the coaches that you can do basically anything that they need you to do. Oh, we need a backup tackle for a scout team. So it's like, I'm in there at tackle. Because it's not necessarily that I'm the perfect body type, I'm not the tallest guy, but uh, I just want to get on the field. So I had to learn different positions. And the cognitive side, I was pretty well aware of like what everyone does on every single play. So I could fill in there. Even if I couldn't do it athletically, I at least knew what was supposed to be done. And you played a couple years then, too, for the Thunderbirds? 2014, 2015, yeah. Okay. And what was the experience of playing on a college sports team like? 
oh everything I ever dreamed of. It was the uh, greatest experience of my life. It was it was better than a movie because uh, we were we were the bad news birds in 2014. We went two and six, and my brother William and I we didn't play a single snap all year. Didn't do didn't do much on the team. Both of us uh, spent the off season grinding really hard trying to get on the field the next season. Will got the start at right tackle. I was still a backup. Just weight issues. I wasn't athletic enough to be on the field. Um, but so you've shed weight since then. Yeah, I did. I uh, that w- that happened after the 2015 season. But as far as the 2015 season was concerned, the team was stacked. We're loaded every position. Uh, we had a really good, really good thing going. Everyone was playing their best football, and it took us all the way to the national championship. So pretty storybook ending for that season as well. And I stopped playing after that season. So it was a nice. It was great to finish out on top. Finish as national champions, best in the uh, best in the country. So. As far as that was concerned, probably the uh, the greatest sports moment of my life, and I had a gr- great high school career of basketball. Loved that as well. Played some rugby as well. Loved that, but football by far was my favorite sport to play, and uh, still to watch and play fantasy football as well. And coming off of such a prolific season where you guys were the Canadian champions, what prompted? That step away from the field for you. Well, unfortunately, in the in the spring camp after the 2015 season, I got into an altercation on the field with other teammates, and I was hit from behind by another teammate, and that's where I got a concussion from that. And I I never had a concussion before, so I wasn't really like aware, nor was I looking out for the symptoms. So I continued to play. The next practice was rough. My head was killing me. I was super tired. Didn't know what was going on. And then the practice after, I took. Uh, I was. I was not obviously all there mentally. So when I punched, my hands were too far apart. So the guy uh, came punched in, in a football sense. Yeah, punched in a football sense. So I, I shot my arms out to block the defensive end charging at me. Except my hands were too wide, so I basically missed them completely. And I took like a full face of defensive lineman to the head and that was when I was like totally out of it so I, I looked at my brother he looked at me he's like oh Spencer you look all f- you got to get off the field and I was like okay I checked in with the uh, training staff diagnosed with concussion I was out for two weeks tried to come back and work out made the concussion symptoms worse and then basically for I would repeat on and off with physio trying to get back and try to follow concussion protocol but nothing was really working so I decided in the middle of the off season that it was just not for me anymore because as a walk-on you there's no real there's no financial compensation for your time and your efforts so I figured that uh, rather than you know put myself back in harm's way I would just hang up the cleats. A lot of physical pain comes with concussions. Did you notice any differences in the way you went about your life after you came off the field and hung up your cleats? There was tons. I mean, I still have neck problems to this day. I have upper back problems. That's just that's just from football, though, uh, in general. But as far as the concussion is concerned, it's harder for me to see in the direct sunlight, which was never the case before. As well, I had like a jaw problem for a while too, just from the hits to the head. The neck, the neck thing's the worst. It's a chronic neck thing now. So now my neck is like permanently all screwed up. So shooting pain. No, no, no. Uh, nothing acute like that. Just like a chronic tightness as well as it can get like really sore at certain times. So I'd say as far as the concussion is concerned, it's kind of it was like life altering in that sense. It Like I still live a normal life, but I can definitely I remember what it was like before and I know what it's like after. So it, it definitely comes with a price. A lot of high level athletes report what is called post-competition depression after they take their last game on the field. And leave the sport. Are you familiar with the term? I've never heard the term before, but I know the feeling. So post-competition depression is basically the idea that there's a routine ingrained within 
high-level athletes. That includes training regimen, their social life associated with the sport that they play, and the general level of high-stakes competition giving them a, a reason in their life. And then when you take that away from them, oftentimes what happens is a, a depressive state titled post-competition depression. Have you experienced anything of this sort after you stepped away from football? I would say so. I found that after football, there was certainly a lack of meaning. I had a lot less to do. My my social life was basically structured, and my life uh, largely was structured around football. So I had really nothing to do, per se. I wasn't really involved in school at that point. I wasn't really taking my classes very seriously. I didn't really take studying seriously. I didn't take reading seriously. I didn't really take much seriously other than football. So as soon as football ended, I kind of just chilled, didn't really do much didn't really find like I didn't feel very energetic just slept a lot you know just basically the the most basic simple forms of depression nothing serious not like clinical depression or anything but I definitely had a lack of meaning it was almost like an existential crisis because right and that's that's exactly what post-competition depression it's not depression it's its very own kind of term Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely a lack of meaning and especially when your life meaning is so closely associated with football, when football ends for whatever reason. And, you know, I guess I sh- looking back on it, I probably should have prepared because can't play football forever. There's no uh, 60-year-old football players in the NFL. So that was kind of a short-sighted meaning for me when I was part of the football team was, you know, waking up every morning, uh, working really hard in, in practice, working really hard and to eat the right things, stay in shape, you know, think about football, learn about football, basically football, football, football. But as soon as football ends, I experimented with coaching. Coaching. I experimented with just just following football closely. It's just something to occupy my time, but it just wasn't the same. It doesn't really give you the same meaning when you're not physically investing your body in it, and your spirit is certainly not in it. Your mind can be on it, but it doesn't really have that full like the totality of of what it's like to be on a team where you got to give like your emotions every day. You got to give your body every day to the team, and you and you certainly have to be you know thinking about football, but. That, that lack of meaning certainly is real, and I've had many conversations with other teammates about it, so it's, I can confirm that it happens to some people. I mean, it's, it's hard, and I wish, looking back on it, I wish that, uh, you know, that was a serious topic of not necessarily what to do after football, but how to, at the same time as playing football, build a life that can be lived outside of football. So that's, that's kind of wraps up my thoughts about post-competition depression. And you mentioned in, in your last statement there the idea of time and having a lot more on your hand. You said you slept quite a bit, but was there anything else that you did find that you were able to do with your, you know, hypothetical free time <laughs> after you? Because football takes up a lot between the training regimen, the on-field, the practices, the eating associated with it, the necessary sleep that you need. Did oh, you yeah. find yourself having more time? I found myself with more time, but then you soon find how little time you truly have because with football it becomes more of like, oh, I can I can justify myself spending like nine hours a day doing this because when you think about it, it's it's you know an hour and a half to an hour every morning for training, and then you've got meetings and you got practice, and then you have all the other things associated with football, and then of course if there's like traveling, that takes up your time as well. So that is all kind of like it's taken out of your schedule. And it's it's given to something else. It's not self-directed at all. So when it when I found the transition, it was like I needed to find self-directed projects that take up not only my time but also how to invest my time in. So I found that 
I had more time, but I didn't know how to manage that time properly because it was completely self-directed, not imposed. So with that free time, I started trying to like read. I started reading philosophy books. Obviously, with the existential crisis, you know, there was a uh, the the book that I read was uh, Man's Search for Meaning. So that was a nice little Fitting. a little existential. You know, I was that man searching for meaning. So, um, but that's kind of a. That, that's basically how I filled up my time and how I still fill up my time to this day. So, I mean, that at least worked. Well, in that sense, your Spencer Latu show that you also host here makes sense. You often cover the breadth of very difficult topics involving politics, but also with philosophical roots. And now it's all tying together for me as your co-volunteer worker, whatever you want to title it. I, I see member. why. Collective member. That's the proper term. Thank you. <laughs> I see why you have been able to find so much success now because of maybe your off-field difficulties, which have really turned, I think, into shaping who you are today. Yeah, I, I view I view football and everything that's happened in my life as a formative process. You know, if you're not dead, you can still keep going, right? So I, the way I see it is I can make the most of my existential freedom. Uh, I, I have a choice every single day to, to do what I want with my time, and I just choose personally to spend it invested in theory and politics history and the like but as far as the the lack of meaning i think that just shows if anything how meaning isn't even prescribed in our lives before that so i mean if any other football players listen to this i don't know what to tell all of you guys yeah you're gonna have to do it yourselves you know pick up a book there's lots of great existential works out there and a lot of ways to make something out of your own life so it just takes that little bit of uh, self-awareness that, yeah, maybe uh, just hanging out every day playing video games isn't the best way to spend your time. And with that, is there anything else you'd like to add? We're about done here with the interview. Everyone check out Thunderbird Eye. It's the best show on CITR. So, yeah, if you want to get updates on uh, on what's going on with UBC Sports, that's the place to get it from. So, And we're going to hope to have you on next semester with some commentary. <laughs> you've been, well, you've been helping a lot with the special interviews, which we have heard your voice on, but you're a very big behind-the-scenes writing member and contributor, so thank you for that. And with that, there you have it, an inside scoop on the life of an athlete, our very own Spencer Latu, after their time on the field comes to a close. Thank you, Spencer, for talking to me today. I really do appreciate your time. And I hope all of you listening enjoyed the internal interview of CITR Sports. Thank you for having me, and I will gladly talk about myself any other time you need me to. (laughs) For Thunderbird Eye, I'm Jacob Ayer. Thanks for listening, and stay curious, sporty, and engaged with UBC. Hey everybody, my name is Jake. Alongside me are Eric, Liz, and Spencer of CITR Sports, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Always keep you up to date with the latest UBC sports news, standings, and stories. What you just heard was a conversation between our very own Jacob Ayer and Spencer Latu about life after sports. If you didn't catch that 15-minute conversation, you can listen to it when this episode is posted to our archives on CITR.ca. Overall, this past weekend was a strong one for UBC Athletics as basketball continued its dominance. The return of the mat helped lead volleyball to its first 4-0 weekend of the season, and rugby had a perfect weekend of its own. There were a couple blemishes, however, as the men's swimming team actually lost a couple meets. We're not used to saying that. And uh, hockey continued its rough start to the new year with two splits against Calgary, including a loss in the Winter Classic. And we're starting off with the... With hockey. I wouldn't say rough start. I would say, like, slow start, maybe. <laughs> um, women's hockey was in Calgary this weekend um, on their Friday night game, scoreless first. Um, UBC did push hard, though. They actually had most of the chances in pressure, which is kind of unusual for this team. 
Uh, despite the constant chances, it was Calgary that got on the board first. Rachel Paul with a beautiful goal. That was the lone marker of the second frame. In the last period, Delaney Fraze deflected a shot, doubled the Dino lead. UBC would get one back with just 44 seconds remaining as Emily Costales scored a loose puck in front. But the comeback did fall short as the Thunderbirds dropped their opener against the lowest-ranked team in Canada West. I mean, UBC outshot a team. That's that's that's, that's new. Something to build off of for sure. The po- the the not so positive is that they had 31 shots in one goal, and then they allowed two goals on 12 shots. Yeah. That's not nearly as positive of a thing. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, but I mean, Kelsey Roberts was kind of hard to beat in this game. Uh, she did make 30 saves. Um, Dinos provided no defensive help whatsoever, and she stood on her head. Uh, kind of hard to put out that goaltending effort um, when you have when you all have a last place team in front of you. It's kind of hard to like get motivated to go out and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to make 30 saves today." But uh, she did, and she won the game for. I team. mean, that's usually what we expect from McLash. That sort of huge goaltending performance. Yeah, Jordan McLash, uh, Tori McLash. She actually uh, was named the athlete of the week by U Sports, and she had a bit of an off night, stopping only 10 of 12 shots. Well, it's not completely awful performance in a vacuum, but um, so far we've come to expect. An elite play night after night from the UBC women's goalies in a similar way to our very beloved Kira Van <laughs> These nights happen, actually, and uh, we believe that McClatch will hopefully bounce back. Yeah, not oh, being yeah. awarded Athlete of the Week after that performance, unfortunately. <laughs> no, um, but I mean, Saturday's game, uh, actually a bit more back and forth, a bit more even. Um, and I think this actually better suits the Thunderbirds, weirdly enough, to give up chances but sort of play more back and forth. Uh, chaos in front of the Dinos goal early in the first. Ashley McFadden fired a shot over the shoulder of Roberts for a first-period goal. Can, say it is, again. Say it again. It is a first-period goal. Wow. <laughs> I think that might be the first one of the season. Um, or at least in the new year for the women's Definitely team. the new year. And like a couple of months before, they were still having the those scoreless firsts. Um, and minutes later, a Celine Tardif redirect. Another first-period goal. A regression to the mean. I guess, yeah. We're just going to score all their goals in the first period for yep. the rest of the season. Uh, truly a historic moment for this team. Uh, Rachel Paul actually did add a power play marker before the end of the first to cut the lead in half. But Michaela Ogrodniczuk, um, I think I did that pretty good. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one. Uh, scored her first of the season to restore the two-goal advantage in the second frame. McFadden would add an empty netter. The Birds took it 4-1. And given that Calgary has not been good for much of the season, this yeah. is probably what we would have expected from both games. Only gotten the one, unfortunately. But they came to play. They got a win. They didn't get swept by uh, the last place team, which is always uh, yeah, that a, a good thing. Uh, the shots were a little closer here. UBC still uh, came away at shooting again, uh, leading twenty-one to twenty or twenty-nine to twenty-one at the final buzzer. The birds almost seem to play better when they're getting a little bit more of an offensive pushback. Because um, if they sit back, if the uh, uh, the opposition sits back and hopes to get lucky on the counter, might catch UBC off guard because they got a little complacent. So um, Calgary was probably spurred on by, hey, we just beat one of the best teams in the conference last night, um, and that might have actually helped the Thunderbirds. And McFadden, great night for her, three points in. Just her rookie season, one of her best performances of the season, and given that we'll soon be without players like Hannah, Clayton, Carroll, it's important to know that there's at least some promising rookies on this team that can carry oh, this yeah, program forward. For sure. Both teams have a, have some promising rookies, for sure. Um, the men's team had their annual sellout Winter Classic event this weekend, uh, this Friday. The game didn't go quite as fa- uh, planned, but it was still a quite exciting affair. Riley Sheen of the Dinos quieted the 5,800-strong crowd early with the opening goal, but one Mr. Jarrett Smith. Jared Smith. Uh, Jared never, Smith. Never stop. <laughs> Thank you. Um, tied the game in the second with another assist from Veteral, who does have a knack for finding Smith uh, down the wing. He assists on a lot of uh, Smith's goals. Um, the game was tied for just a few minutes, but Sheen's second of the night reopened the lead. Uh, Senerson, though, power play opportunity late in the third. Veteral shoots, rebound, and Senerson ties it up, blows the roof off of Doug Mitchell. 
Um, sadly, though, the elation was short-lived. Uh, Dan Gibson notched an overtime winner to get his ninth of the season and win the game for the Dinos. I mean, it's disappointing UBC couldn't win, given that it's the big sellout crowd, the super-hyped winter classic. It is a good Calgary team, though. They're third in the conference, head of the Thunderbirds. And uh, despite being outshot 31-20, to Thunderbirds were right in this, given that it wasn't overtime. Easily could have won this one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sven Butenchon, though, he believes his team is on the right track with playoffs just around the corner. Uh, despite the team's decidedly mid- middling performance kind of over to the past few weeks. To say the least. Um, Sven thinks that eventually good things will happen. You know, if you play the game the right way. If you play the game the right way. Mike, Mike Babcock. You know, you play, play right, you get the good bounces. Um, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Saturday's game was just as exciting. Uh, the Dinos would once again find Twine first as Jared Hoff scored in the last stages of the opening period. But a big second period for the Thunderbirds. Adam Rosknell deflected a Joe Carvalho point shot to tie the game before Quentin Greenwood, the rookie. Uh, buried the rebound from a Stenerson chance to take the lead. In the third, Jordan Henderson, not the Liverpool captain, but... One, <laughs> pulling <a> double duty. <laughs> pulling double duty, captaining Liverpool and also playing... Uh, In Calgary. Playing defense for the Calgary <laughs> Dinos. Um, he uh, took a scorch of a shot that found its way through traffic to beat Patrick Dia and tie the game for Calgary. Uh, Matt Revel scored late to take another lead before Dylan Busenius tied it once more on a late power play goal with less than 10 seconds remaining. But... Almost the heartbreaker, but Michael Stenerson, again, the hero in double OT. The Birds would win a 4-3. And uh, with that win, Thunderbirds in the playoffs, second year in a row. There you go. That's uh, good to see them back in it, even though they have been struggling to start the new year. Uh, they were they were never going to miss the playoffs. So no, the, the gap between the, the bad teams and the decent but still playoff teams, it's, it's massive. It's pretty big. <laughs> Uh, and UBC played really good in this game. They had 35 shots on goal. That's a quality performance, 10 more than they surrendered to their opponents. Honestly, they were lucky to have it go to OT in the first place. I mean, it was a power play goal with eight seconds remaining. Um, so they were had the goalie pulled, you know, six on four. Um, but they were able to come away with the win. Um, and Michael Stenerson for his uh, duties, uh, Canada West third star of the week. So, you know, good little weekend for him. Uh, and Sean had nothing but praise for the resilience of this team. In the second period, uh, he said, or sorry, he said in the second period, I think we proved it to ourselves that if we play the right way, we're going to get rewarded. So that's play the, the right way. Play the right way, play right, you know, <laughs> play hard, eat, eat good. I mean, there hard. there are some parallels to be drawn between the, the men's hockey team in the, the new year and the, and the Maple Leafs. Well, I thought you were going to say between Boot and Sean and Babcock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the Maple Leafs definitely also not starting the season well, or the year where, uh, well, rather, but um, yeah, playoffs. Good for them. Moving it back to uh, UBC and to basketball was another week and another pair of sweeps for Thunderbirds basketball, albeit against two not-so-great teams over in Brandon. For the women, they dominated the Bobcats right out of the gate with a 77-50 to win on Friday. That started at 11.30 a.m. for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but Keelan Felowich <laughs> did not have any morning PM. rest. Monster, 28 points, 15 rebounds. Madison Penn, Jessica Hansen, and Gabrielle LaGuerta all scored in double figures as well. LaGuerta has been on fire lately. She shot 3 from 5 from 3 on Friday, 2 from 4 on Saturday, and is now 10 for 19 from deep in the new year. She's moved up to second in the Canada West on the season in three-point shooting percentage, a 46% three-point average. I mean, kind of out of nowhere, she was struggling at the start of the season, but she's been an absolute sniper for the Thunderbirds. And uh, they dominated the broadcast. They didn't even shoot that well, 38% from the field, but uh, they murdered Brandon on the glass, out-rebounding <laughs> them 62-26. to 26. Damn. So that uh, that bad shooting didn't really matter when you're getting that many extra chances. Yeah, if you can clean it up, like, whatever. 
just just get shots if you can clean them up like that. Yeah, and the second game, even bigger blowout. Thunderbirds won 85-56. to Hansen led the team in scoring for the first time this season, 18 points on 7-14 shooting. And Filowich and Penn both double-doubled. Happens a lot. Uh, Filowich 16-11, and Penn 15-12. And, and then Haley Council scored 10 to continue. A funny recent trend that I noticed in the new year, in the first game of each series, she's averaging 4 points on 29% shooting. In the second game of each series, She's averaging 11 points on 50% shooting. Maybe just rest her for the first game and have her play like a bunch of minutes in the second. Maybe she's that's the she's not a second-half player. She's a second-half of the weekend player. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the Thunderbirds dominated on the glass, out-rebounding the Bobcats 53-21. to It's definitely the team's biggest strength. I mean, with Filowich and Penn, you're going to out-rebound most teams. But uh, very encouraging, though. Thunderbirds, they're shooting from the free-throw line very well. Hey. 72% in hey. the new year. That's 11% better than what they're <laughs> shooting in the first half of the season. Oh, and that 72% mark, that would be fifth in Canada West if uh, they kept it up for the full year. The 72%, so. not the, 72%. Not the yeah. 61%. That's definitely not fifth. No. That was that was either last or second last. But if they can shoot that well, a lot more well-rounded of a team. Next up, 9-7 UNBC as the Thunderbirds look to grab a top-four spot in the conference, which would be big as it would mean a bye in the first round of the playoffs. And a team that doesn't need to worry about getting a top-four spot is the men's, as they, as they have now won 14 games in a row. Man. Easily took care of Brandon. First win, 98-81. Jaden Cohey scored 24 points, shot 5-6 from 3, definitely breaking out of that slump he was in. Six Thunderbirds scored in double figures, and Grant Shepard, Grant Odu, and Patrick Simon all double-doubled. Grant, Grant Odu doing it off the bench. I feel like most basketball players in Canada are named Grant, <laughs> statistically. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I don't see any evidence to refute this. <laughs> uh, the offense is just firing on all cylinders right now. Thunderbirds shot 51% from the field, 47% from three, which is great. All five starters are a threat to just, you know, have big games every night of the week. And Odu's been playing great off the bench as well and uh, took, a, took a page from the women's team. They out-rebounded Brandon 62-36, mm. which meant they could win despite committing 20 turnovers compared to just nine <laughs> for Brandon. You know, you can't win them all. They definitely won the game still uh, without any— I mean, I feel like the Thunderbirds can win them all. Considering they have won 14 straight. Yeah. I mean, they lost one, but they could win at the mall going forward. That's definitely a possibility. And We'll, uh, we'll chalk that up to an outlier. Yeah. And uh, shout out my favorite player, Lincoln Rosebush. Yeah. Grabbed five rebounds in just six minutes of action. He's now averaging 3.8 rebounds in just 7.3 minutes a game. Or, what was that per 30 uh, number? 15 and a half rebounds per 30 minutes. Playing 30 minutes. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Second game. 94-74 victory. Unfortunately, Rose Bush did not play in this one. Uh, Kohee dropped 31 points for his highest single-game point total since late October. Shepard, monstrous performance. 25 points, 18 rebounds. That rebounds was a career high, breaking the career high they set in the previous game when he had 15. So great uh, great nine in the glass for him. Simon also double-doubled, but potentially bad news that Claire did not play in this game. I could not find out why. Hopefully it's not too serious because he's a big part of this team. I feel like... Um, did Rosebush play as like your own personal did Kawhi play just just <laughs> yeah. for you yeah. uh, and the rebounds you want to see Shepard's been amazing uh, in the new year double double in four of his last five averaging 7.5 points nope 17.5 points much better than that <laughs> and 10 rebounds a game in January um, yeah he's just been on fire in the new year I mean Thunderbirds as a team nothing's come close to beating yeah. them so far I've not had a single digit win in the new year first thing of the conference in scoring first in rebounding first in fewest fouls committed and best point differential. I mean, Calgary, 16-0, and 0, half a game, ahead, one game ahead of UBC. But UBC, 15-1, and 1, definitely a worthy challenger for the defending champs. And uh, they've got that first round by all but locked up. 
should officially clinch at some point this weekend against eight and eight UMBC. And before we move on to rugby, I want to quickly touch on what you, I'm calling you, the you have a story for yeah us. the Dalhousie conspiracy. Cue the X Files. <laughs> so the Dalhousie men's basketball team is currently ranked tenth in U Sports. Okay, you think sure. nothing too crazy there. Okay. Dalhousie is six and six on the season. They are well, fourth may- in their just... own conference. Ah, Saint Mary's who's in first place in the AUS, they're ranked, they're fifth. But UNB and Cape Breton, both ahead of Dalhousie in the standings, neither of them ranked, neither of them even in the honorable mentions. UNB has beaten Dalhousie twice by double digits this season. Dalhousie last game lost to a 4-8 and eight team in Prince Edward Island. It's it's a conspiracy. I emailed U Sports. You did email U Sports. Yes, and they got back to me, which I was surprised at. <laughs> and uh, they said Who's that the top 10 is produced based on the vote of the head coaches of the 47 universities with the team in one of the four conferences. So my only two theories is that either Dalhousie is bribing all the head coaches across <laughs> ca- across U Sports because nobody really cares about the rankings, uh, or every coach is a uh, Dalhousie alum. I mean, do you ever like you go into like vote and you're like, there's some other thing that you're like not you weren't really interested in. And you're just like, oh, I'll put this. Like, <laughs> I feel like that's what it is. Like, oh, I know who Dalhousie is. I'll put them. Yeah. You know, Dal- I recognize that. Name. No disrespect three, to the Atlantic. Three but- letters. <laughs> Three three sides of a triangle. Yeah. Okay. Dalhousie's Illuminati confirmed people. There we go. Thank you, Spencer. No problem. <laughs> Follow me on infowars.com. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll 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 keep you posted on the Dalhousie conspiracy if they get unranked. Who knows? They were ranked seventh last week. They then they and then they lost two games this week. They're tenth still. Okay. Um yeah. we'll, we'll see what really happens. No there. idea what's going on there. <laughs> Um, so we're going to take a turn to rugby. So the women's sevens uh, were playing this weekend in Edmonton during both the past Saturday and Sunday. The Canada West Rugby Sevens series returned for its third season and took place at Footfield to showcase the best of Canadian University women's rugby. The UBC Thunderbirds started the season off great, grabbing five wins during the opening tournament to take home the top rank coming out of the season opener, as well as a championship, the champion title and the gold medal. Yeah, the UBC Thunderbirds uh, finished pool play with a 3-0 record, advancing to the semifinals. Um, the Thunderbirds bested the Dinos 2010 in the first game of the tournament, thanks to four tries, including two in the first half from Callie King. Yeah, the second game, even better, 50 nothing. Wow. 50 to nothing against Regina. Emma Feldinger and Delaney Akins both scored two tries. Not much of a doubt there. Third game was a lot closer. Thunderbirds beat out Victoria, tightly contested, twenty-one to nineteen. That that Legends Cup rivalry, I don't think this counted, but Should. still a rivalry. Uh, UBC were up fourteen nothing, nearly choked it away until Caitlin Cumming and Shoshana Samatafa grabbed a late try and convert to beat their opponents by two. That was smooth, Jake. Thank you. I was I practicing. Would... Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, UBC cruised past thirty-five uh, Calgary thirty-five-five early on Sunday in the semifinal as the Thunderbirds dra- jumped out to a resounding 21 nothing halftime lead. Re- never really let that up. So Matatafa started things up with a try and convert, which was then followed up by two quick tries. So UBC was up 28 to nothing before Calgary even got on the board. Uh, in the championship game, UBC erased a seven-point deficit against Lethbridge, battling back to win 19-12, to and uh, took the crown at the Alberta Rugby Sevens Tournament. Yeah, Lethbridge led 12-5 to after the first half in this one. UBC got that great comeback. Two tries in the second half, first from Nicole Mallow, and then Delaney Aikens got one in the final minute to win. I mean, they won. It's called a tournament. It's not actually the championship because there's multiple tournaments within the championship. It's a, it's a little confusing, but UBC now has 15 it's like, it's points. It's like NASCAR or something. <laughs> I don't know. You're like You win events, and you get points to win the big, good event. Yeah, UBC, they got 15 points. They're in first place, obviously, after winning the first tournament. Lethbridge in second. The series will continue in Abbotsford, February 2nd and 3rd. 
And then the part that really confused me is uh, apparently the champion will be crowned at the University of Victoria uh, late February. But then there's another tournament at UBC here on March 2nd and 3rd. It's the gloating tournament for when we win. Might just be, yeah, just a leftover tournament or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. When all these tournaments happen, we'll relay all that uh, good Canada West Rugby Sevens news. And, I mean, the women's team looking really strong right now. They sure are. Taking a turn to the men's, uh, for the men's side, let's just say there wasn't any championship hangover after winning the uh, Whiteman boot. Last Saturday, it was a 46-0 Thunderbird beatdown of the Vancouver Rowing Club at the Brockton Oval. Your, your former team. My former team got <laughs> spanked. So we're sorry about that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're rowing it through their tears now. There you go. Uh, the team is now 13 or 12-3 overall in the season, 8-3 in conference play, good enough for first in the league. They held a three-point lead over the second-place Castaway Wanderers. Who are inching towards the top spot? Uh, they've only they've got three games in hand though, um, and they have a higher point differential, so that might be a little scary thing for them. Uh, the Thunderbirds will play the Wanderers on February second here at home. Yeah, so, so that could end up being a decider, a decider for the for, sure. for the Premier League as the Thunderbirds continue their quest of trying to win all of the championships possible, which they've done so far. It's been a perfect start to the new year for both men's and women's rugby. That next fixture before the Thunderbirds play the undefeated Wanderers will take place at two thirty this Tuesday in Nanaimo against the Nanaimo Hornets. So we are going to take a quick break for ads and PSAs, and we'll be right back after the break. Hey there. My name is Callum Ng, the Executive Director of BC Athlete Voice. We are an athlete-focused organization helping British Columbia's athletes become their best. How do we do that? Well, if you're a BC athlete, we can help you with pretty much everything related to leadership, advocacy, and education. For example, we can help you find funding, start a new athlete group, or develop better public speaking skills. It's all at bcathletevoice.ca. And don't forget to look for us on Twitter and Facebook by searching BC Athlete Voice. Check it out. To understand more about fashion, we asked CITR student executive and fashion expert Jonathan Q what fashion means to him. It's just aesthetically something that's so ostentatious. Typically, typically. I mean, because of course, I mean, it's also, you know, I mean, when, when you say fashion, I think people are talking explicitly about uh, consumerism as opposed to someone who buys, like, uh, like you know. If you really want to know more about fashion, come on down to CITR in the Student Union Building of UBC and pick up some of our merchandise à la mode. Nous avons t-shirts, sweatshirts, socks, and coffee mugs. But it's also very aesthetically gripping. To keep you styling in support of the station you love. Isn't that right, Jonathan? Well, actually, is it? Because, I mean, you know, I was going to say because of the cultural vacuum that we exist within, but then, you know, uh, really, fashion today is kind of derived from the European idea of couture, and that's been around for centuries. Welcome back to Thunderbird Eye. We're going to shift to two more teams that won a lot this past weekend, and that's volleyball. Yeah, welcome back to the world of volleyball. So actually, the team had a really fantastic weekend last week. The women's team actually finished their games with the visiting sibling school UBC Okanagan Heat in three three sets on both nights. And with the two victories in hand, the birds are not on the 3-0 winning streak. Now, surprise, surprise, Kira Van Rijk led the team in kills in that first game. She had 14 and also had a team-high five digs. Tessa Davis, eight kills, 583 hitting percentage, incredibly efficient, and Liv Furlan, giving a solid as usual performance 27 assists and four blocks 
they just took care of business against UBCO. Yeah, and add on to that, as a team, UBC hits 0.266 for hidden percentage, and they were very strong in the net as well. They had nine blocks with Ferlin, um, Jay Robertson, Sierra Hanley, and Van Reich all posting multiple blocks. And after that, the second game was over even faster as Thunderbirds held the heat to 17 points or less in all three sets. <laughs> Quite the blowout. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling bad for them. <laughs> When Reich has uh, only 9 kills, her lowest total since opening night. But there was because the game was so short, not because she didn't play well. Uh, well, actually, he, she hit 0.583 hidden percentage. So Gosh, UBCO, nice. you got to put up more of a fight, let Van Reich pat her stats a little bit. <laughs> we got we to gotta make sure she's still in uh, first in Canada West in, yeah. uh, in kills. Thunderbirds completely shredded UBCO offensively. They hit 492 Ooh. as a mm. team. Everyone except for Lennon and Hanley hit above 450. That's unreal. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> it's, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> I mean, we know this team's good offensively, but still, that's, you're not supposed to be able to do that. It's just a wall out there. And if that wasn't good enough for you, let's take a look at the statistical leaderboards. So as a team, the Thunderbirds led the Canada West in kills, aces, and assists. And individually, Kiara Reich leads the entire country in kills and is fourth in aces per set. Furland is second in the country in assists, and Davis uh, is third in Canada West in hidden percentage. Yeah, this, this team is good. Hot yeah. take. Yeah. <laughs> they can put up points very fast. Yeah, and UBC is holding strong at the fourth in conference, and getting up a top fourth spot would mean that home court advantage in the upcoming Canada West quarterfinals. Their next two games won't be easy, though, as they're taking up against the 16.0 Trinity Western Spartans on the road. Spartans, the only team, I believe, in uh, U Sports, women's volleyball team, that's uh, still undefeated besides Dalhousie. <laughs> ah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it's it's really all just to stay yeah, to it's all, distract it from their. Yeah. There maybe maybe there's something going on with the volleyball team. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, there you go. it all it all goes right to the top. <laughs> 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 Women's volleyball. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um. Now let's move on to men's volleyball. Just like the men's hockey team last year, the men's volleyball team are on a bit of a roll after the winter break. So with the two straight weeps sweeps over UBCO, the Thunderbirds are now sitting in ninth place in the conference with a four games win streak, and they're just one game back off a playoff spot. Playoffs are on. on. The hunt is on. <laughs> playoff chase, it's happening. It's real. It is real. And uh, they were very efficient offensively this weekend. UBCO, yeah. not great at volleyball this season. Very unfortunate to see that. Uh, Colton Liu and the return of the mat, Matt Neves, led the team each with uh, 12 kills. Liu added nine digs. Neves recorded five blocks. And the Thunderbirds are now 4-0 and since Neves started getting playtime again. Yeah. Coincidence? I think not. Another co- good fun coincidence. Uh, Zach Johnson, my former classmate who hasn't been playing a lot, um, was the team's starting setter in both games. He was great. Uh, 34 assists and 8 digs on the first game and 37 assists in the second. Uh, though Ben Hooker has been playing really well. Yeah. So um, yeah. maybe... There might be an injury, as to, which is why Zach was playing, but um, well, hopefully nothing too serious because Hooker has been great. Yeah, and for all that, the second game was just as comfortable as, when, as the first one, as the Thunderbirds hit 0.311 as a team, led by Neves and Michael Dohaniak, who had 13 and 12 kills, respectively. Yeah, and UBC hit 311, UBCO hit 077 as a team. UBC had eight blocks, Joel Regeer had four, oh, and... Uh, it, these it, two straight sweeps sounds good, but also UBCO is 0 and 18. So these were two games that if Thunderbirds didn't sweep them, that would have been pretty embarrassing. Pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. That's but I mean, four straight wins. Can't take complain. It. We yeah. take those here. <laughs> yeah. This coming weekend, the Thunderbirds are going to face the 11 and 3 Trinity Western. Uh-huh. Um, the Thunderbirds have not won a road game yet this season, so this is this is maybe the big <laughs> test. Um, uh, 11 and 3, one of the top teams in the conference. 
Um, so this will maybe be an indication of whether this team is for real or not. And then uh, after that, Thunderbirds, they got four games left. They play Winnipeg and then Calgary, the two mm-hmm. teams directly above and below them in the standings. Mm-hmm. So with regards to playoffs, destiny firmly in their own hands. And it could happen. Yeah, if, it could if they, happen. If, especially if they can get at least one win against Trinity Western, that would be pretty huge. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, the men's and women's swim teams uh, moving on to some uh, sports we haven't talked about in quite a while. Um, they had their first two meets of the new year this weekend, a tri-meet against UVic and SFU in Burnaby on Friday, and the January LMR Invitational here at UBC on Saturday. The women's team dominated the tri-meet, um, outscoring UVic 148-89 to and SFU 137-111. to The men's team was not quite as successful. They lost to the Vikes and the Clan, um, scoring 109 points against UVic and 81 against SFU. But on Saturday, UBC men won three races at the Invitational, while Maya Brundage in the 200-meter freestyle posted the lone victory for the women's side. I'm just confused as to how the, the men's swimming team lost two straight meets. I just I didn't think that was possible. Well, I mean, it's it's not, uh, you know, it happens sometimes. The women's field hockey ended their mm-hmm. run of dominance. Mm-hmm. Uh, UBC men's rugby lost a game this se- at some point They've this season. They've lost a few. They're 8-3. It's which is crazy. Weird. Although they've won the championships. So. Well, this yeah. is just, yeah, but I mean... Within university play, they lost one yeah. game, and it was to UVic. You know and what? I was really bitter about that. Dalhousie. <laughs> it all goes back probably to Dalhousie. The ref Dalhousie went to Dalhousie. Dalhousie is probably <laughs> at the center of this. <laughs> Friday's meet, fantastic performances from a number of women streamers. Uh, it was Brundage and Hoy Lam Karen Tam that carried the day. Brundage took first place in the 200-meter freestyle and the 200-meter individual medley, while Tam topped the podium in the 50-meter freestyle and the 100-meter butterfly. Yeah, as was mentioned before, we are only one month away from the Youth Sports National Meet host right here in the UBC Aquatic Center from February 21st to 23rd. Both Tebert's teams will look to continue their decades-long dominance, with the men's team having won in three of the past four years and 15 times in the past 21 years, while the women's team has been victorious in six of seven years and 20 times in the past 25 years. Yeah, that's a little That's a little ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you would bet on them even after the men's team not mm-hmm. uh, doing great. Mm-hmm. They can continue that six of seven streak. So looking ahead to the upcoming matches and uh, other events for the UBC Thunderbirds teams, uh, men's volleyball with that big game against Trinity Western to sort of maybe define their season a little bit. Women's basketball taking on UNBC. Men's ice hockey taking on Saskatchewan. Uh, obviously, the men's and women's counterparts all playing the same teams as well. Um, track meet. We haven't talked about track in a while. Uh, the, Washington, the University of Washington Invitational in Seattle. Um, rugby men's taking on the Nanaimo Hornets in Premier League action, and all the other games in their second legs as well. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Sports news and stories is to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at CITR Sports. Next up on CITR is the Arts Report. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake, Eric, Liz, and Spencer with contributions from Corey Branson and the studious Jacob Ayer. Thank Uh, you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your evening.